0: You're listening to Second on the Mount, a podcast of sermons from Second Presbyterian Church located on Mountain Avenue in Roanoke, Virginia. We are glad you found us. My name is Elizabeth Link, and I'm the executive pastor. Each week, we climb into the pulpit with a bit of fear and trembling. We hope and pray that what we have to say is true to God's will for the church and may encourage and challenge you on your journey of discipleship. Please rate and review if you enjoy May the Spirit have some word for you in what we have to share. Let us join our hearts in prayer. Gracious God, as we turn to your word for us, may your Spirit rest upon us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, in our believing, and in our living. And may this sacrament be for us a reminder of your claim and grace upon our lives. Amen. Our scripture reading comes from the New Testament Gospel of Mark. Mark 4 is Jesus' first extended speech in the Gospel about the nature of the kingdom of God we find actually two parables in our reading. The first is of a sower who scatters seed and then heads to bed. This parable is not found in any of the other three Gospels. The second is the parable of a mustard seed, that when planted, it grows and grows, and birds of the air nest in its shade. This parable is also found in Matthew and Luke, but with some differences. Friends, hear now these words for the church today from Mark 4, beginning at verse 26. Jesus also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. He also said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown... It grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Parables will always be open to new interpretations. The word parable itself comes from two Greek words. Para, as in parallel. It means to put something side by side. Balo, which means to cast or throw. So a parable casts two images side by side. Think of something as simple as parallel lines. The two will never meet. Likewise, the parables and that which we put alongside them may never meet either. But there's a constant alignment that forces us to go back and forth between the two. So when we look at what happens in the story and what happens in our own lives, we go back and forth between the two. And it's in this back and forth, the cyclical comparison that the word never grows old, and over time, we see new things because of where we are and what's revealed to us. Jesus loved to speak in parables. Most of them are left uninterpreted by the Gospels as if they're invitations for us to take the story into our own hands, to take on the responsibility for figuring out what to do with it. They're an invitation to wrestle with the parallel comparison of story and real life. Story and real life. It's an opportunity to find something new each time we cast these two images side by side. Mark 4 is Jesus' first long series of speeches in that gospel. If you were to locate our verses in your pew Bibles or in your Bible at home, you would see that these stories are only two In a long series of parables describing what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seeds on the ground. One year for Father's Day, my dad got a packet of wildflower seeds as a gift. He let my brother and me cast them along the walkway at our lake house. So we scattered them and we left them. We didn't prep a flower bed. We didn't weed or fertilize. We simply scattered them and walked away. And come the next summer, that walkway was strewn with black-eyed Susans, daisies, and purple cone flowers. We were nine and five-year-old gardeners. We neither tended nor stressed. We cast without care. The average gardener, however, plans, prepares, plants, and worries. My husband Chris bought and spread two skid steer scoops of compost before he planted the first tomato this spring. Almost every day he checks in the garden. Is it getting enough water? Have the rabbits discovered it? Has our dog dug anything up yet? The gardener in Jesus' parable is a bit more like the kids my brother and I were. He scatters the seeds, and then he sleeps. He does not plan or slog or worry one jolt. In our second parable, someone sows a tiny mustard seed in the ground and it grows into a gigantic bush, large enough to offer birds shelter in its branches. The joke here is that people in Jesus' day did not plant mustard seeds. While some varieties were used as spice and others medicinally, in general, Mustard was considered, at the very least, pesky and even somewhat dangerous. Think kudzu in your garden. It would take over a garden. And wild mustard is not an attractive plant, as you can see. It grows like a weed, and it looks like one. We tend to focus on the seed in Mark 4. But as we cast the parables again and again, one point appears is the emphasis placed on the soil, the ground, the earth. In the first parable, the soil has a power that even the sower doesn't understand. The kingdom of God is both prolific and hidden, both generous and mysterious. It works its fertile magic underground, deep beneath the surfaces we cannot see. Come to think of it, there's not a lot of human work in either of these two parables. Seeds that grow totally on their own. They sprout and grow, and the sower does not know how. I recently learned the video gaming phrase, the sweaty try-hard. The sweaty try-hard is when you're working really hard to beat the game and do well. It's a way to describe a player who's pushing with all they've got, super focused, determined to make every right move. We all know people who approach their faith this way. Maybe we've been that person, the one trying harder and harder, never feeling like they're doing enough. Jay Baker, is the adult son of televangelists Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. In an interview, he shares that he spent summers at church camp, and at some point each session, a Bible verse memory contest would always ensue. No matter how hard he tried, he was always his team's downfall. Given his heritage, the other boys on the team would expect Jay to be their ace in the hole, After all, who should be able to recite more memory verses than Jim and Tammy Faye Baker's son? But Jay's dyslexic. And no matter how hard he tried, he just couldn't commit the recall of Bible verses to memory. This is just one of the many ways he tried and felt like he failed to live up to the expectations of his family and the expectations of God. He got things wrong time and time again. And Jay was taught that God was judgmental, always keeping score. He came from a culture of sweaty, try-hard Christians, who, try as they might, were putting their efforts in the wrong things. As a young adult, Jay rebelled against his parents' theology and their understanding of salvation. But he didn't run away from faith for long, because, he says, he discovered the joy and freedom. Of God's grace. Jesus' parables fly in the face of the sweaty try hard, the linear progression, the ideal of control, the ideal of effort equals reward. Jesus says the way God works in your life is like seeds that grow and you have no idea how they're growing. These parables appear for a group of believers who are anxious. Mark seems to have been written for a community unsure of how to respond to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. They were likely torn between whether to take up arms in the revolutionary cause or to be subject to the Roman authority. Wondering what kind of witness to bear in this landscape of devastation, Mark is offering a third way. In the dramatic and subversive turn they see in Jesus, God is offering a way of getting along in the world that is deeply self-giving, following Jesus to the cross, and deeply trusting in the faithfulness of God to work out God's promises. Jesus is offering a way that is both fearless and faithful. The good news, the kingdom of God, the gospel is like a mustard seed the smallest of all the seeds, coming out of the backwater town of Nazareth, heralded by an itinerant rabbi. When buried in the ground, it becomes the greatest of all the shrubs. It puts forth large branches, not only so the birds of the air can make nests in its shade, but so you can hang your life upon it. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It comes to you not because of anything you have done or anything you could do, but from outside of you. It is so insignificant until it's realized. And when that word hits your heart, you'll hang your whole life on it. It's no coincidence that the teller of this parable comes to earth as a tiny, forgettable mustard seed a backwater baby born into poverty. It's no coincidence that his first followers are raggedy fishermen and corrupt tax collectors, uncertain, timid, doubtful, unimpressive people. Could it be possible that God's kingdom rests on folks like these? Absolutely, Mark says. If we're having trouble resting in God's care, and perhaps it's because we discount the small, ordinary seeds, the seemingly insignificant places where the earth shifts and weeds grow. Kingdom is like a very small seed, often overlooked, unremarkable. It appears in the parts of your life that are not the things you're most proud of, but when it comes, it takes over everything when you know you are forgiven and loved, when you can live with the joy that is the knowledge and faith in God's grace, unmerited grace, it changes everything. When that seed is buried, it most certainly rises. That resurrection takes over, for there is not one square inch of this world which the Lord Jesus Christ does not call beloved and his very own. It's a tiny, tiny movement and an unimportant part of the Roman Empire. In three short centuries after Mark's Gospel is written, this movement will completely transform the known world. The Caesars of Rome cannot stand against it. Because of it, we now care about things like human rights, justice for the oppressed, freedom for captives, lifting up the lowly. Because of it, We know we are created out of goodness and for good in this life. Jesus is the tiny seed nobody thought mattered at all. He planted himself in the ground. He died and was buried. And when he rose, as a result, that tree has grown and transformed and is transforming. The whole world. The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout, and he does not know how. The earth produces of itself. It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds, and yet when it is sown, It grows to become the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air may make its nests in its shade. Thanks be to God. Amen. Second Presbyterian Finding Direction by Following Jesus.